Hello, and welcome to Banter, the official podcast of the American Enterprise Institute. I'm Phoebe Keller, the head of AEI's media department, and I'm here with AEI president Robert Dorr, we'll be your Banter co-hosts. Each week, we'll take you inside our think tank for conversations with leading policymakers and thinkers about today's pressing policy issues. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today for a special episode of the Banter Podcast, which we're recording in Dallas, where we're at the Old Parkland Conference, which we'll tell you a little bit more in a minute. But first, um, to intro our guest, who's one of the organizers of this conference, Ian Rowe is a senior fellow with us at AEI, where he focuses on education, upward mobility, family formation, and adoption. He's also the co-founder of a network of charter schools in the Bronx, the chairman on the board of Spence Chapin, a nonprofit adoption service organization, and the co-founder of the National Summer School Initiative. He's also a writer for the 1776 Unites campaign. Ian was previously the deputy director of post-secondary success at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the senior vice president of strategic partnerships and public affairs at MTV, and director of strategy at the USA Freedom Corps office in the White House. Uh, We also want to mention that his new book, Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power, was just released by Templeton Press. Um, It will be yesterday when this episode comes out. So thanks for joining us, Ian. Thank you, Phoebe. It's great to be here. Hey, Robert. Hey, Ian. And and Phoebe, this is a a very special edition of our podcast. Uh, First of all, we're off-site. We're live. Yeah, we're in the great city of Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, on the old Parkland campus, which is absolutely spectacular. I think it's one of the great architectural contributions in America in the past 50 years. It's right up there with the Brooklyn Bridge Park, which is where I'm from. Uh, maybe maybe even exceeds the Brooklyn Bridge Park because it's so spectacular. And for me to say that, yeah, that's not. Lot. Don't say that lightly. <laughs> so it's a great setting for an important gathering um, that uh, has some history behind it. Yes. And so, uh, Ian, why don't you just tell us why are we here? What is this Old Parkland Conference, and what it's about? What is what what is it about? Well, Robert, thank you for asking. Uh, yes, we have. Uh, we have an incredible group of researchers, practitioners, uh, educators, activists organized in Dallas, but there is a connection to what happened almost 40, 40 years ago by the economist Thomas Sowell. And 40 plus years ago, Thomas Sowell was frustrated that he saw incredible growth in the black community in terms of rising wages, more employment, stronger families, And yet this growth in some areas hit a plateau or started to recede. And he was frustrated that the dominant narrative by so-called black leaders kept emphasizing grievance, dependency, more government intervention into people's lives. And he thought, why don't we have a conference where we will simply ask the question of whether or not some of these policies actually were part of the problem. And it was uh, known as the Fairmont Conference because it was held at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. But but what most people don't know, it was officially called the Black Alternatives Conference Mm. because what he wanted to do was be in a room of people who had the courage to look at data, to look at research, not just assume the dominant narrative and say perhaps there are are more empowering alternatives to how we can move segments of the black community from uh, poverty to prosperity. So they had some experts then, and there were there was some product that came out of it, and there was further talk. But now it's 40 years later, and you're bringing together an, a different group. Obviously, 
Thomas Sowell's still alive, and he's yes. going to be sort of with us in spirit. Yes. Um, but but we're going to have some. Tell us who's coming, and and, yeah. and, and give me give us a highlight of of the star-studded cast. Well, that you know, again, forty years ago, uh, uh, Thomas Sowell said, "Look, let's bring some of the best minds together: blacks, whites, just people who have inquisitive minds who look at evidence to determine what the policies are." So, folks like Milton Friedman a young Clarence Thomas, Bob Woodson. So we have done the same exact thing for a 2022 version of the old Parkland Conference. So I'm honored to partner with Glenn Lowry, Shelby Steele, and Jason Riley, who are three of my heroes, to organize this conference. And the types of people that have come together are coming together Justice Clarence Thomas, who was at the original conference. Now, that was prior to him. It was in his early days. But he will be giving a major speech. And he'll tomorrow. be he'll not only be here for a major speech tomorrow, but he's coming for the conference. Oh, he's coming for the entire conference. He wants and listen to and, and listen and engage and, and be part of the conference. Absolutely. We've got folks like Bob Woodson, Eric Hanischek. I mean, leaders, top educational researchers. Roland Fryer. Roland Fryer, who's done incredible work in the in the charter school world as well as in uh, police uh, uh, reform research. Uh, Brad Wilcox, who's done amazing work around some, something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the success sequence. Yeah. So Eloise Anderson. Eloise Anderson, an incredible uh, community Wisconsin. leader. Uh, Ayan Hersey Ali, uh, who's a fantastic. Uh, uh, just thinker on uh, given her incredible background and how she's seeing some of the issues that she faced in her home country, the orthodoxy, the oppressive orthodoxy is now being revisited here in the United States. So it's worth mentioning that that the organizers represent three prominent think tanks, not only the great American Enterprise, <laughs> yes. of course, yes. but, but Glenn Lowry is Glenn. from Hoover and Manhattan, and Jason Riley is from, from Manhattan, Manhattan Institute, and yes. Shelby is from Yes, Ooh, so and Raihan Salam will be yeah. leading one of the panels, the head of the Manhattan Institute. Yeah. It's a star-studded panel and, 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 and organi- event. And low egos just want to talk about solutions. Alternative ideas. solutions. You know, one thing that was interesting... When and I, academic. It's also academic. Oh, no, we're presenting research. Um, when Thomas Sowell held this event 40-plus years ago, he said that he actually didn't want to replace the more progressive orthodoxy with another orthodoxy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right, with a set of messiahs that you could be excommunicated. The idea is that we're evidence-based. Right. We have the courage to actually not just look at the noble preambles mm-hmm. of a particular piece of legislation, but to actually look at the results, then determine what is the best set of uh, strategies and initiatives we should pursue. So let's, um, and nonpartisan, not a lot of political figures. You're not bringing in, you know, people running for office. It, this is more of no, a No, in fact, almost above, zero. Yeah. It's almost zero. No, no, this is all about ideas. research, evidence, and empowering ideas. No one is satisfied with the fact that segments of the black community have stalled in terms of growth. And yet there are other segments of the black community that are flourishing. Why? And so we need to be as obsessed with success as we are seemingly with failure. And so this entire conference is about exploring those avenues that have traditionally led to success for black and other communities, while also understanding what is it that's holding back segments of the black community. So, okay, and you're not, and you're not, uh, you're, you're not a, a afraid to take on hard issues. So, we have courage. So let's take, let's take a few. So <laughs> what will be the, the discussion? How do, you, how do you see the discussion on 
for instance, defund the police or the police police brutality, police narrative. So How what, will the conversation go in that one? Yeah, so one of the things that's interesting about this entire conference is that there's a series of panels, each of which we've named after a Thomas Sowell book or core subjects with discrimination and disparities, is information on police. So it'll be a very interesting that we're honing in on particular issues. In terms of this uh, defund the police, I think you're going to hear a lot of critique of that particular ideology, partly because there's very little evidence that that strategy has worked. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence where defunding the police or limiting police capacity has actually hurt the very people intended to be helped. Okay, so what about what about something like more choice for school for parents for schools? Well, you will likely hear a lot of advocacy for school choice. And again, not because it's a feel good or that we just think it's nice. Or it's ideologically correct. Or it's, or yeah, it's because the evidence shows that when parents have the ability to choose a great school for their child, that usually leads to better outcomes for that family, for that child. The breaking of intergenerational uh, cycle of poverty. We have incredible data around charter schools, for example. And again, I've run charter schools for the last decade, so I'm very steeped in this area. I know what it's like mm -hmm. for families who do not have choice, and we can study the data there and compare that to those families that do. And one, one more for me, and then Phoebe may have others, but what about affirmative action? Well, what will be the conversation about um, um, uh, advantages or, or benefits or giving people advantages based on race in applications for college or jobs? Yeah, I think this will actually be a very intense discussion that we have because I think there will be a lot of, again, evidence of may, perhaps in the early days of affirmative action by race uh, where there was some preference given that that helped to propel more uh, entry of minority students, particularly in higher education. But the evidence now is almost in the reverse, the, the negative uh, impact. I think you're going to hear most of the researchers say that if there is to be a form of affirmative action, it should no longer be by race. If there were, it would be more by economic class, which I think is an interesting discussion. Yeah. But the whole idea is that not that... In other words, that people from, from regardless of race who come from families lower income lower backgrounds, income. right. If they're talented, they're able to meet the standard of a particular university, and you're all above a certain threshold, then the, the content, I think most Americans believe in a sense of fairness and that your station in life economically at birth shouldn't dictate where you are in later in life. And so I think there's actually some, I think there would actually be some consensus around affirmative action by class not by race, but I think we're going to hear that kind of discussion this weekend. Now, you could say, but you really wouldn't say, that this was a gathering of, of black conservatives, because it's really a gathering of experts and people who think alternatively about these issues. Is, is that right? I mean, it is, what, 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 where, where does all this land politically? Maybe it's not even part of politics. It's outside of politics. What is it? How would you characterize it? Yeah, I, this is, I don't think this is a political conference. I think, and, and frankly, I think most of the people coming here probably believe that most policy that is needed for a community to flourish generally exist. There are some exceptions, like more school choice certainly needs to be made more available. But a lot of the legislation in the 60s and 70s to eliminate um, formal discrimination, 
that has allowed a number, many, many black people to flourish. And so this conference is as much focused on the politics and policy as it is as culture and behavior. And these are sometimes sticky subjects, but we have to have the courage to talk about these things. Now, one last thing. Sometimes when you read in the popular media, uh, this sort of caricature of the lonely um, black conservative or lonely black uh, alternative thinker. But the list of names you mentioned, including yourself and, and others, they're not so lonely anymore. There's a real community here. This is not, you know, a couple besieged people, you know, saying no to the overwhelming consensus. There's a community here. Am I right about that? Well, when Thomas Sowell organized this conference in 1980 at the Fairmont Hotel, it was a big deal that, <laughs> that you know, all of these thinkers were coming together. It was news. Yeah, yeah. Because you, it was strange. Forty years later, you're right. Uh, there's a diverse, you know, ideologically, racially group of people who are just thinking differently, not only about how to improve outcomes for the black community, but across the board. But I think the reason it's important that we're all coming together, even though it's not as much of a rarity, this set of ideas that we're talking about in the dominant narrative are overwhelmed by a more general progressive ideology, which tends to uh, uh, frame the United States as an oppressive nation based on your race, your class, your gender, the whole system is rigged against you. And so the ideas that we're gonna be discussing at this conference those are the ones we're trying to give a greater platform to. So yes, we've made progress that we're not alone, but our ideas are the things that we're trying to give more lift to. Um, I know, Phoebe, you want to get in here, but I just, you know, I, this is an issue I care a lot about. So <laughs> but, but, but go ahead. I mean, I, I, yeah. I want to, I've got a lot more to ask, but Phoebe, what's on your mind? Yeah, so I, I also want to mention that we will, um, in our episode, link to a lot of the recordings of the, the panels oh, yes. and everything. So if you want to hear more about this or see the panels that we've mentioned, those materials will be on our website. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ask about, we have a lot of people tuning in for the uh, Justice Thomas address tomorrow. Um, I know that you mentioned that he went to the Fairmont conference and is coming now. Could you just speak a little more to kind of his interest and commitment to the conference and what you expect to hear from him tomorrow? Well, I expect uh, Justice Thomas to give a very weighty address and give his observation of what has transpired over the last 40 plus years when he went to the first conference. Because the whole idea then was that they were frustrated that progress within certain segments of the black community had slowed down or in fact stopped or started to go backwards. Mm -hmm. And I think he's going to share those areas in which we have flourished those parts of the black community that had invested in mediating institutions like family, faith, school choice, entrepreneurship, work, where the embrace of those elements of the basic tenets of the United States of America have actually led people to prosperity. And then I think he's going to also talk about this stubborn, uh, progressive ideology that still seems to dominate and the ways in which this group of people in this room and across the country can start to present alternatives. Because I think, I think what he will start to say is it's not enough to say what we as a group are against. Right. What is it that we're for? What is the set of ideas, actions, 
models that ex that already exist that are flourishing that we need to trumpet more. So I, I anticipate a very hopeful speech that I'm sure will be very honest in, in, in his candor of what has gone well and what has not mm -hmm. over the last 40 plus years. And what are the forces that are needed today? Um, and I, I have a feeling he'll talk about the non-marital birth rate within the black community as a, as a particular area of interest. He'll likely talk about while there's still a great level of faith uh, within the black community, I think he'll probably emphasize the need to anchor a lot of our efforts um, in faith commitments. So, yeah, I think it's going to be powerful and uh, something everyone, you know, he's a he's a titan. When when um, uh, we were preparing for the conference, Ian and I had an opportunity to spend some time with Justice Thomas. And uh, I, I think Ian's right on everything he said. I think he's also going to uh, talk about Thomas Sowell. I think he will, oh, yeah. he will definitely refer to how, as a young man, uncertain, actually liberal or, or even radical, uh, he got... Uh, started reading Thomas Sowell's writing and was really taken by it and it transformed him and he's going to say something along the lines that ideas matter, writing matters, conversations at this level that are outside of the political world but are about evidence and data and the facts are really important and he wants there to be more of that, not less. He doesn't necessarily prescribe the outcome. He doesn't know for sure what the outcome is on one issue and as a justice he might not you know, right. pronounce those, mm -hmm. but he will definitely talk about the process and the, the intellectual curiosity that was exhibited by Thomas Sowell. Yeah, and I think that's one of the refreshing elements of this conference, because I think what we're all frustrated with is just the refusal to deviate from an orthodoxy that's just unrelenting. You must believe that government intervention at this scale is the only answer. Mm -hmm. and uh, And I think this entire conference is to say, we may not have the answers, but we have to have the courage to ask the question whether and to what degree the policies that we've been implementing have actually helped to exacerbate the problems that we're all seeing. Right, and, and also, the other thing that I think will be a theme through whether Justice Thomas says it or you say it, and I think it's a theme of your book, and so now let's just talk a little bit about the book. One of the... Um, things that's true of Thomas Sowell, Clarence Thomas, yourself, Glenn Lowry, Roland Fryer, there's a, there's a, a total belief in the potential of themselves and of, and, of, and of the black community to achieve and to accomplish and to compete. And it's a, it's a, it's a belief that's based on personal agency mm -hmm. and not of sense of victimhood or, or we need advantages or benefits because we can't compete. Am I right about that? I mean, isn't there kind of everybody, not that they say that everybody needs to be pull themselves up on their own bootstraps. Everyone knows people need help, but they do want to be measured on the merit. Am I right about that? You are right about that. I mean, I run schools in the heart of the South Bronx, right? And I, mostly low-income black and Hispanic kids, and I see when kids hear this message, oh no, your efforts don't matter, it's futile. You know, the whole system is rigged against you. When you hear those kinds of things, what's a 10-year-old kid going to do, right? You, you lose your sense of agency. You don't, you don't believe that the country actually wants to work in your favor. And so everyone organized in this conference, like me, wants to break through these narratives. 
And as someone who's run schools, I do see young people trapped in what I call these two meta myths, these meta narratives of blame the system or blame the victim. Where blame the system is this idea that America itself is rotten at the core. It's a racist nation. It's an oppressive nation. Uh, there's a white supremacist lurking at every corner. Capitalism itself is evil. And, and this idea that the only way that you as an individual can overcome all these systemic barriers is massive government intervention or societal transformation. And that's not the kind of thing that a young person needs to hear mm -hmm. to feel that they can be successful. But on the other side, this idea of blame the victim is that, no, 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 America's not the problem. You're the problem if you're not successful, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? It's You didn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You didn't, uh, there's some pathology it's that you fault. have. It's your fault. Yeah. Without any recognition of the fact that, wait, wait a minute, young people need strong institutions like family and faith and education, school choice, to help develop them. So I have written a book that I think is attempting to create a new framework around agency. This idea that agency is the force of your free will guided by moral discernment. We all have free will, but agency is like a vector, it's velocity. It's not just speed, it's speed and direction. So the question is, where does direct, where does your ability to become a morally discerning person come from? And I have created this framework called free, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. Because I believe that those four pillars, if embraced by more young people who are making their decisions as they enter young adulthood, will have a much greater likelihood of a life of flourishing. So the question about a conference of this sort, and you're, you're, you've sort of set it up, is that you have a conference, but then what? And then what is the book as part of it? Yes. And then what else is there? So the, the you know, we, 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 we you know, I, I can say as the president of AI, we're going to keep talking about these yes. issues. And so there's, there's going to be legs to this, as they say. Absolutely. But, but how do you envision that? We would consider it a failure if after three days we end and all we're doing is patting ourselves on the back. The whole idea is to spark a movement that there are different ideas. It should not be the case that uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times or Ibrahim Kendi are the only two people or the, you know, the Al Sharptons of the world who seem to be the go-to black spokespersons, in quotes, and that there are a whole bunch of other people who just have different ideas based on evidence. And so we hope to, I've, I've actually gotten interest from local state leaders to actually have old Parkland type events within their localities where they bring together local leaders to do things similar to what we're doing, which is to say in Connecticut or in Nebraska or in localities, what is the impact of these ideas around defund the police or do we have school choice? So it's very interesting. So we are clearly going to, as Phoebe said, have all the video from the um, from the events. We'll have a statement of principles. We may even make this uh, event an annual event. But I am determined 
to go on a road show. There are many, many of my colleagues. And who Phoebe, want- you're in on this too, because <laughs> you know Phoebe is the master as the head of uh, uh, what do you what, media relations? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what they tell me. Uh, uh, you are. You're the, you're, you're the chief of media relations at AEI, and it's an important job. And you do a great job, Phoebe. I mean, we we ought to have a banter about you. Someday. And but you you do promoting the work of our scholars in the traditional venues of AI scholars, the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal, the New York Times, the halls of Congress, yeah. sophisticated places like you know Old Parkland and Dallas, uh, wealthy business community. But what the challenge for Phoebe's team is, is to help you get the, 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 the research and the evidence and the facts and, and the writing related to this into newspapers in Memphis or yeah, or and take East it to the Louis, streets, right? Or and it, it's a media thing. I mean, taking the streets is a little much. I don't. I don't think <laughs> the streets. Phoebe's not. We'll see what we can do. But, but there is a there's a reading population and a television viewing and media consumption consuming population in America mm-hmm. of all races. Oh sure. That is open and receptive and interested in these topics, and they are also the victims of one orthodoxy. They're only hearing it, it, it you know, mm-hmm. as you say, they're only hearing one of those two things. Yes. And our job is not just to make this an interesting concept for certain select audience, it's to actually get the message out. And, and Phoebe, are you committed to doing that? Are you going to help yes, us get Yes, of course. The mm-hmm. see, and, and you heard her on this podcast. <laughs> yes. On the record. And the thing is, you don't have to start from scratch. I mean, yeah. the other thing that we're doing, you know, Bob Woodson is going to have an amazing panel where he has these local leaders, we call them agents of agency, mm-hmm. um, who are already doing this work. And there are tens of thousands of these folks uh, across the country who are not you know, um, adhering to this blame the system, blame the victim ideology. They're not waiting for some government proposal. They're solving problems within their own local community, usually through strength of family, local community-based organizations, faith um, organizations. And so part, it's just amplifying what is already happening to break through this narrative of grievance and dependency and instead replace that with hope and agency for what is possible, not only within the black community, but low-income communities across the country. Yeah, and um, I think that to isolate like one of the pillars of your free framework, just to look at education for a minute, you can really see that even just over the past year, you've seen kind of a cultural shift on what people, parents' involvement in education, what experiences students are having, what they're asking of what they get from um, their teachers and schools. And so I'm curious just from your experience as well running charter schools, whether you think that we're potentially at kind of a a pivot point in what we what we think of our schools, um, because we have another. I'm sure you know Nat Malkus at AEI just had a really interesting report come out as well that talked about how many people have left the public school system yep. based on schools staying closed longer. Um, and it was something like one out of every 20 students just kind of disappeared from public schools when they stayed closed in 2021. Um, and so I, I I wonder if this is an opening maybe a really clear opening for one of the pillars that um, we're looking for something different from our school system. We are definitely at a moment. However, whether or not we jump through this this crack uh, uh, in the window, the Overton window, is uh, it's up to us. There's no question that over the last two years, many parents, you know, looking over their kids' Zoom lessons were not happy with what they saw. 
They saw infiltration of ideas like critical race theory. They saw schools not uh, even being open. They saw their kids being given worksheets. And so there's a real sense that we've lost potentially two and a half years of schooling. And parents aren't sitting around. That's why you see growth in numbers of uh, Catholic school enrollment. You saw increases in homeschooling, home, uh, increases in charter schools. So yes, there's a, there's a moment here. Whether or not it's sustained, I think, is up to initiatives like what we're doing, to continue to remind parents that they have a voice. I mean, I ran for school board in my own hometown because I was dissatisfied mm -hmm. with what I saw. And I think the more that we keep this idea that it activity within, you know, right in the sort of post-pandemic period, good. But if we snap back to status quo, that's, that's not what uh, helps our children. Yeah, and I would make an observation that this definitely is a moment on schools and parents are very frustrated and very upset. It's also a moment in politics because, you know, in the past, uh, it seemed to me, the Democratic Party could have bought into a lot of this, a lot of what we've talked about here. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, John Kennedy. Sure. Um, uh, but the current Democratic Party has gone so far in the identity politics and race consciousness and race is everything and racist America that uh, uh, black Americans and Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans and a lot of other Americans are very upset by that and are turning away from them. So then you have this opportunity politically, well, okay, if that's true and, and, and elections are won by, by people that, that offer an alternative, then they have to deliver. I mean, then once you get in that authority and you have that yep. backing, you've got to make it happen. And that is a great opportunity for places like AEI to help provide the ideas sure. to leaders who get that authority. And so I think that I want to just identify myself with this, this theme. Movement, yes. I don't like calling it a movement. The movement makes me nervous. <laughs> uh, this theme that it's not over on Saturday afternoon. No, no, That's no. That's what I mean to say. And that, mm -hmm. and that we're gonna have a lovely conference. It's gonna be you know, beautiful, it's gonna be very academic, it's gonna be thoughtful. We'll, you know, uh, Condoleezza Rice will, will appear to us and we'll have you know, all of these great leaders will be here. We didn't mention her, but we should. She's the president of Hoover. Um, and, um, but we're not done on no. Saturday afternoon. We're just and, getting started. And um, we're gonna keep it up. So I think it's uh, a really great thing, and I'm really very proud to just have been able to be part of it. And Ian, congratulations! Mm -hmm. uh, now, of course, it's we haven't started yet. <laughs> uh, well, I think Phoebe, when book. we produce this, mm -hmm. we should put a postscript on it or something and say, just FYI, it was a success. It was, because yes. I'm sure yes. it will be. But um, yes. anything more, Phoebe? No, I mean, I you know, I'm curious to hear Ian. Like maybe if there was someone that had never listened to AEI before or wasn't familiar with you and maybe was coming from the other side of the political spectrum, what would you say to them if they were considering listening to the conference or reading the book? Well, you know, I run, again, I run schools in the heart of the South Bronx, and many, many of our families are have never heard of AEI. They, they wouldn't vote necessarily... Democrat they vote yeah, Democrat. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but in my entire, you know, decade plus of running schools... I have never had any parent come to me and say, I need to make sure your curriculum teaches our kids how oppressive this country is, mm -hmm. how terrible, how their opportunities are limited, and make sure I don't have a choice in the, where 
Never. Yeah. What I hear from every parent of every political stripe, regardless of their situation, they want their child to flourish in this country. They know what's possible. They know that their pathways to success. They don't want their kid to feel like a victim or be treated as a victim. They don't want to be marginalized. They don't want to be oppressed. They want their kids to know how to be successful. And that, I think, is why this theme will be successful, because we're tapping into the hopes and dreams of families across the country of all races that want the best for their children. Let's call it a movement. Let's call it a movement. <laughs> we got him there. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Phoebe. This has been a great uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Please remember to subscribe and rate the podcast. Feel free to send us any feedback or suggestions at banter at AEI.org.